The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4, through Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 6. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground... The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with fresh flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God 
actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Coram Deo, and we are in this series on the kingdom of God. And I want to start by telling you why I'm excited, why I'm eager uh, to preach this sermon. Uh, a number of you uh, remember uh, our dear old friend Bob Chenoweth, who passed away towards the end of last year. Uh, Bob was a member of our church community, um, and four years ago, uh, August of 2017, uh, I had lunch with Bob Chenoweth, and Ryan Meyer. And if you didn't know Bob well, Bob was a, uh, in his lifetime, he was a Messianic uh, Jewish rabbi. Uh, and it, during a portion of his time serving of that, he served as the head of the rabbinical training school. So he was a, a man who loved to learn, and he was a man who knew how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and how the New Testament pointed to Jesus, and he was really uh, saturated in the scriptures. But during that lunch, uh, at 80 years uh, of life, he leaned forward at the table to Ryan and I, looked us both in the eye at the same time. It was one of those weird moments, right? And he held up this book and he said, you guys have to read this book. God's Big Picture by Vaughn Roberts, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible. This book traces the theme of the kingdom of God throughout the whole biblical narrative. And he said, you have to read this book. This book. Uh, this supports everything I'm hearing from you guys at Coram Deo, and it is making the Bible come alive again. And seeing the whole Bible through the lens of the kingdom of God is growing my understanding of God and his people in ways that it hasn't in decades, which is really, really cool. Uh, I resonate with that to some degree. I remember being 25 years old, uh, when the Lord opened my heart to the truth of the gospel, opened my eyes to the kingdom of God. Uh, and at that, at that point, it was like I was putting on a new set of lenses through which to see the entire world. And in doing so, uh, I began to see the kingdom breaking in in different places. Like the kingdom was breaking in in the classroom where I was teaching, among the relationships that I was forming with different students and coworkers like Joe and Dustin. The kingdom of God was breaking in in my neighborhood around fire pit conversations as we'd hang out at night. And as I got to know Ed and Lori across the street, across 188th Street, and uh, Aaron and Annie three doors down uh, to, the, to the south. The, the kingdom of God was breaking in in relationships from my past, like my old high school friend Joe and my old college buddy Adam. Uh, the kingdom of God was breaking in, and I was entering into those spaces in those relationships with a new purpose. And by the grace of God alone, a number of those people that I just mentioned are walking with Jesus today and are connected meaningfully to the local church and are being used by God to continue to further the work of, of his kingdom. So unashamedly, I'm excited 
to talk about the kingdom of God. And my hope for you is that whether you're uh, like Bob, you're, you're 80, 80 years young, a hunger, hungry to learn and to grow, or you're a young 20-something know-it-all like I was, so maybe you're somewhere in between. And my hope is that this series, as we work through the kingdom of God, will help you to understand the scriptures more, yes, but maybe even more so than that, to, to fall in love with King Jesus, to surrender your life to King Jesus, and to get caught up in the work of advancing his kingdom, which is happening all around us. It's some of the most fun you're going to have in life. It's, it's what you were made for. Now, last week, Pastor Bob uh, kicked off this series talking about the priority of the kingdom of God. This morning, we're going to look at the pattern of the kingdom of God, the pattern of the kingdom of God out of the first few pages of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Genesis means beginning. It means origin. The book of Genesis is your origin story. And the truth is, is that each and every one of us wants to know our origin story. We want to know where we came from. We want to know the things that have happened in our life in the past that have formed us into who we are today. Talk to anyone who's experienced adoption, whether they've been adopted, whether they've, they've adopted people into their family, origin story matters. It's why you're intrigued by Ancestry.com, right? You want to know your story. Why? Because your origin story helps to make sense of the reality that you're living in. I recently had, had a friend of mine who was expressing that he was watching uh, the Marvel series Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And he was watching it, but he was having a hard time entering into the story because he didn't quite know the characters, right? He felt confused, a little disillusioned, not quite sure what was going on there. And it was causing distress in his soul. I felt sad for him. Because as one who has devoted countless hours through this pandemic, watching multiple times every movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm well aware of the beauty and the richness of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I've heard the origin story of Sam and, and of Bucky and of Sharon and Zemo. And when I watched episode six this last week as it was released, maybe it was five, maybe it was six, I saw not just a good show, but a fabulous show. Because I knew the origin stories. I was able to enter in. Friends, Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, make up your origin story. It helps make sense of the life that you're living in, and it helps to answer questions that your soul is asking. I have a couple of kids who are moving out of elementary school and have made their way into the middle school years. And I'll often tell them, hey, what you're going to see is you and your peers are going to start asking questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? What was I made for? And the reality is, is those questions never leave us. Right? Those are the same questions each of us are asking today. And they're questions that our origin story helps to answer. So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you the pattern of the kingdom of God at the outset. Then I want to show it to you in the scriptures. And then we'll close by looking at what happened, what disrupted this pattern. Okay? So here is the pattern of the kingdom of God. The pattern of the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. Say it with me. God's people 
in God's place under God's rule. Okay, now say it again yourselves. These are the themes that are woven throughout the scriptures and they make up the kingdom of God. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So flip it open to page 1, page 2. Uh, to make sense of Genesis 1 and 2, you have to understand that these two chapters are two different accounts of the same creation story from slightly different perspectives. Okay, it seems as though Genesis 1 was almost written by a mathematician or an engineer. It's very chronological, very organized, day one this, day two this, day three this, where Genesis 2 is, again, the same story written from a different perspective, almost from a storyteller or an artist who's really highlighting the poetic nature of creation and how uh, the creation of man uh, happened and how God interacts with him in this personal relationship. But in both accounts, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the creation of God's people, humanity, Adam and Eve. Okay, so look with me. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. <clears throat> then God said, and make note here of the... Of the um, plural pronouns that are used here that highlight the Trinitarian communal nature of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Okay, now the same creation in Genesis 2, picking up in verse 7. Then it says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Picking up in verse 18 of chapter 2, <clears throat> Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And what you see in the narrative is uh, this parade of animals that God's created that come before Adam. And Adam names each and every one, but no, no one of them is a good fit uh, for Adam. So it picks up in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This bottle of water is going to help me from coughing and create nice dramatic pauses. Okay, so embrace them. Who are you? Well, according to your origin story, you were made in God's image to be God's people. You were made in the image of a relational God. This is what Kevin highlighted as he led us into our profession of faith. God existing from eternity in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in community creates us in his image to be a relational being. So the Bible starts off by telling you that you are a relational being made for relationship, communion with God, your gods, and you're a part of God's people. You're made for relationship with one another. 
So that's why when the world around you begins to want to champion this idea of individualism or autonomy that says, hey, you are the center of the world, what you think, what you feel, what you want is the ultimate reality. The goal in life is to move into greater and greater degrees of individualism and freedom and autonomy. This is why something ab about that doesn't quite feel right. Because you were not made to move into greater and greater degrees of autonomy, but rather you were created to move into a deeper and deeper expressions of communion with God and with God's people. <clears throat> this is why loneliness hurts. This is why isolation is so disillusioning. You were not made for it. A couple of weeks ago, uh, our family went into quarantine uh, because one of my daughters came down with COVID-19. Uh, that experience, again, I am naturally an introvert. That experience was hard, right? Um, now, my daughter, by the grace of God, had pretty mild symptoms after three days was feeling better. But at day nine of her isolation said, hey, dad, I've not only run out of things to do, I've run out of things to think about. Right? Like, we weren't made for isolation. We weren't made to move into greater and greater degrees of independence. It's, it's not who we are. It's not what we were designed by God for. It's interesting why when we experience the brokenness of the world in relationships, think about gossip or slander or sin or deceit in relationships. What happens to those relationships? They move apart. But when you experience the fruit of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, what happens? You move back together. Because we were made to be in relationship with one another. You weren't made to do this alone. You were made to be a part of God's people. It's part of your origin story. But not only that, you're also made to be a part of God's people in God's place in God's place, the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> Genesis 2, picking up in verse 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where do you belong? Well, according to your origin story, it says you were made to be God's people in God's place. And I love the, the almost poetic language of Genesis 2 here where it, you come across and you see in Genesis 1, God creates and it was good. God creates and it was good. God creates and it was good. Like the whole world was good. But then in Genesis 2, you see God almost rolls up his sleeves, gets his hands dirty, and plants a garden for Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, a place of ultimate peace, a place of pleasure, a place of provision. It says again, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant for, to the sight and good for food, right? This is not like a cucumber plant and a couple tomato plants, right? This is a massive garden that the Lord has put together for Adam and Eve. We see the whole earth is good, but Eden is home. Eden is home. Place matters, doesn't it? Home matters. 
Like if you do it, if you do an honest assessment of your soul, you just know we were not made to be nomadic creatures, right? We're made to have a place, a place to belong. We were designed to be in God's place. I brought a picture for you to look at, a picture of uh, the house where uh, we live. I know what you're thinking, Pepperwood Yard of the Month. Wow, that's impressive. Little do you know, I'm actually a five-time winner of Pepperwood Yard of the Month, okay? Uh, if you want to experience the, the pride of home ownership, let me give you a tip. Spend $40, make a Yard of the Month sign, put it in your yard, and watch the neighbors freak out. It's, it's one of the most fun things you'll do all summer long. Uh, but last month, that sign was actually replaced with another sign, a sold sign, uh, because we actually sold that house and are moving a couple miles away uh, into a new house. And you'll find, if you go and look up, just Google, like, life experience stressors, like life events, top five, top ten, moving to a new home is on there. Why? Why? Because it's, it's hard to move from a place. Like, that home we've brought kids home to. We've celebrated dozens of birthdays. There's been a number of gospel community gatherings in that home. The day after the sign went in the yard, I woke up and I was looking out in the back and I saw uh, the hosta plants start to come out of the ground. It was early spring. I started to get choked up. Like, how sad is that, right? But the reality is, like, that's telling you something. We were made for a place. We were made to be in God's place. So this is part of the way that we've been hardwired, right? We see it, this pattern of the kingdom of God. We are God's people in God's place under God's rule, under God's rule. And God rules through his word. Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> picking up in verses 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Notice God's command here, right? Part of the way that we, uh, we live under God's rule is we obey his com commands, um, the reality is, is that as we experience that, if you're anything like me, at times I can be deceived and confused and think that God's commands are super restrictive. But when you look here uh, in Genesis 2, at the very beginning, you see one thing. Don't do this one thing. Enjoy all of this. Enjoy it. Take it in. Steward it. Eat it. Enjoy it. Don't do this one thing. Right, where oftentimes the way that we feel is the Christian life is do this one thing, stay away from all of this, right? But that's not the nature in the heart of God, right? God wants to bring you in his rule into freedom and into joy and into delight and into goodness. It's the way that his rule works. So part of the way that we submit ourselves and put ourselves underneath God's rule is through obedience, but we also see another way that we find ourselves under God's rule, and that's by being an extension of God's rule. Look back at verse 15. It said, 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Man has purpose, right? God gives instructions on what to do with life. This sounds very similar to the cultural mandate that we see in Genesis 1, verse 28, where it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what have you been created to do? Well, your origin story said that you were made to live under God's rule as an extension of God's rule, to work for to further, to maintain the kingdom of God. So God gives us a very meaningful purpose with what to do with our lives. We are to maintain and to further the kingdom of God, to take the stuff of creation, right, and to work it, to produce, to create, and to cultivate, to bring order out of chaos, harmony out of disharmony, as an extension of God's rule as a part of his kingdom. So what this means tangibly is that whatever God has given you to do, whether it be in finance or health or science or culture or technology, whether you're an electrician at First National Bank, whether you're a stay-at-home mom living in Midtown, whether you're a student at the Med Center, whether you're a middle management employee at Kiwit, wherever you find yourself, you've been given the task to work for and to maintain and to further the kingdom of God. This is exciting. This is what you were made for. This gives purpose. Here's what this means. Christians should never be bored. Think about that. Like a bored Christian should be an oxymoron. Those two things should not go together. Don't lose your sense of adventure in the kingdom of God. Don't lose your sense of adventure in the kingdom of God. This has massive kingdom implications that need to get worked out in your own life, but it's worth giving your life to. It's what you were made to do. The way that God extends his kingdom is through you and is through me. So this is the pattern of the kingdom of God. God's place in, or God's people in God's place under God's rule. Say it with me again. God's people in God's place under God's rule. So what happened? Genesis 3 happens. As we heard Ruth read, an antagonistic voice from the enemy enters into the scene, casts doubt on the rule of God, seeds a lie into the story, and God's people rebel against God's rule. Genesis 3, picking up in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve experiences disordered desires. Eve begins to believe through the lie of the serpent that God's holding out, that there's more for you. And although she was made to be a part of God's people and God's place under God's rule, she rejected God's law, and so did Adam. We've rebelled against God's law. That's where the attack is, in the pattern of God. It wasn't that, God, that the enemy comes and attacks God's people, like the people part or the place part. It's the rule comes in and undermines and attacks at the place of submitting and surrendering to the rule of God. And if you keep reading through the end of the chapter, it has effects on the other things as well. This rebellion to the rule of God leads to exile from God's place and leads to alienation and separation that God's people experience between Adam and Eve and their offspring and their relationship with God. All that was good and that was right and that was beautiful in the pattern of the kingdom of God in Genesis 1 and 2 comes unraveled in Genesis 3. And here's what this means. Here's what this means for you and I. Every one of us today is born outside of the garden. Every single one of us today is born outside of the garden. We're born east of Eden. We find ourselves living in a broken world where relationships are hard, where home does not always feel peaceful, and where work feels less and less like advancing God's kingdom purposes and more and more like something you just got to get through to get to the weekend. We were born east of Eden, longing for love, longing for peace, longing for purpose, and looking for an answer. Friends, this is your origin story. This is the story that makes sense of the reality that you're living in. And it's a much more plausible story than any of the other narratives that the culture is wanting to teach you. So, for example, the evolution story, our fight and struggle to survive, don't be the weakest link, leaves no meaningful space for acts of heroism and beauty and sacrifice like you see in Genesis 1 and 2. The humanistic story, this idea that our goodness, our progress, overcoming obstacles, our capability for greatness, leaves very little space for the terrible evil that we experience in the world, brokenness, suffering, tragedy, that Genesis 3 does. See, the pattern of the kingdom of God, this Christian story, this is your origin story. And it explains the highs and lows of the human experience, your capacity for beauty, your capacity for rebellion, your strengths, and your sufferings, all explained in this origin story. So here's the, here's the question that I want to ask you to consider as we close. Part of me coming into this sermon felt like, man, if we can just walk out of here together with an understanding of the pattern of the kingdom of God, the pattern that we are God's people in God's place, 
right, under God's rule. If we walked out here with that, that would be a win. But I think there's another invitation. And it's to see where is it in our lives that we are falling vulnerable to the same thing that Adam and Eve fell vulnerable to in the garden. So I want to ask you to consider where are you rebelling against God's rule? Like just in a moment of quiet reflection, as you take just an audit of your life, where right now are you rebelling against God's rule? You see, you were designed to be God's people living in God's place under God's rule. And any other way of living doesn't work. It's against the grain of the universe. It's against your divine design. That's why that rugged spirit of, I'm going to make it on my own, I'm going to do it my own way, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, that self-reliant spirit does not work in the long run. And yet because of Genesis 3, that spirit's in all of us somewhere. So where are you rebelling against God's rule? Can you name it? It's interesting when you look at um, the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus begins his ministry, the first words that come out of his mouth in chapter 1, verse 15 of Mark is this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you rebelled your way out of the kingdom of God and you're going to have to repent your way back in. Now, Jesus is going to do all the heavy lifting, right? In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he is doing all of the heavy lifting. But you rebelled your way out and you're going to have to repent, turn, to enter back into the kingdom of God. And I want you to see this repentance as an invitation, a joyful invitation to return to what you were created for. See, the the hard work that Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus destroyed the rule of Satan to help to restore the rule of God. Jesus invites you home from exile back into the Father's redeemed world. And Jesus covers the guilt and shame of your sin to reconcile your relationship with him and with his people. So can you name where it is that you're rebelling against the rule of God in your life so that you can name it and then you can receive the grace and the forgiveness and the kindness and the gentleness of Jesus by faith. And then rely on God's power by his spirit to turn from that rebellion and to live for his kingdom. It is so interesting to me that the scriptures say that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. 
is though Jesus not only makes repentance possible, but that he makes repentance a joyful experience of coming back home, of returning to what we were made for. Holy Spirit of God, I ask that you would work in this place right now, that you would give us the freedom and the joy of repentance. That you would, that each and every one of us, we already confessed it this morning in our confession of sin. Each and every one of us has rebelled against your rule. And we continue to rebel against your world, your rule through um, just ongoing sin in our life. And I just ask that you would be a abundantly gracious to pour out your spirit upon us to help us to see with greater clarity what is it that we need to repent of this morning so that we can turn home. Thank you uh, that you have given us uh, these early chapters in Genesis to be able to make sense of our origin story, to help us to understand more deeply the reality that we're living in. Help us to embrace what we were created for, community with one another in your place under your rule. We ask by the power of your spirit that you would make that more and more true of us here, even in this place at this time. Lord, don't let any ounce of guilt or shame uh, that is that is possible to come up that from the lies of the enemy to to steer us away from repentance, but, but help us to believe that united with Jesus, because of Jesus' freeing and liberating work, uh, we can journey through the path of repentance with joy because we know you're there with us. We pray this all in your good and powerful name. Amen.